Let's look at Ecclesiastes. We've been making our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, and today we're looking at chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the whole idea of can education, can knowledge save me? So let's look at that. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 16. Solomon wrote, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I'll turn over to chapter 2. Beginning in verse 12. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what he has already, or than uh, what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Amen. Let's pray together. Our great God, we need you this morning. We need you to come and to expose our hearts to the reality that we will even use knowledge. We will even use education. We will use uh, having more knowledge than someone else to feel better than someone else. To justify ourselves, literally, to to completely rule out our need for the work of Jesus Christ in our behalf and to think that we are something because of a degree on a piece of paper in a frame. And, oh God, some in this room have done just the opposite. They have thought because they don't have a piece of paper in a, in a frame that they are nothing. And so, God, I pray that you would come by your Spirit and you would teach us this morning And you would lead us to the one who is your wisdom and knowledge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. I scored an 18 on my ACT. Some of you in here are saying, what's an ACT? Some of you in here are saying, man, my pastor is pretty smart. He scored an 18. And some of you are saying, I need to find a new church because this guy is a fool. (laughs) I must admit that school was not my thing. I struggled. I was kind of a mid, maybe high C student in in high school. I made a 2.25 my first semester of college. And I redeemed myself, though, because I kind of got it together and, and made a Graduated with 3.54. Um, I graduated uh, seminary with about the same GPA, so I guess that justifies me, doesn't it? I guess I'm worth something because I got it together and I made better grades. What Solomon puts before us this morning, uh, it, it, it's, it's like the air we breathe. <laughs> I mean, we all are engaged in learning, and we're all using our knowledge in ways that we don't even see. And I think most of us, and certainly all of us at some point or another, if not all day, every day, 
are using our knowledge to either feel better than others or bad about ourselves. Solomon writes in verse 16 of chapter 1, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. But he concludes in chapter 2, this too is meaningless. This whole topic of education is very relevant in Memphis, Tennessee, and especially right here in our church. Uh, We have many right here who are very much involved, very much at the center of educational reform in our city. We have Memphis teacher residency teachers. We have Teach for America teachers. Uh, We have uh, achievement school district teachers. We have private school teachers. We have public school teachers. We have charter school teachers. We have mentors. We have uh, many that have committed their lives to to advance Memphis and work um, helping those get an education and, and teaching jobs for life. Uh, I know we have in our church the assistant director of the Pathways Mentoring Program at Streets. Uh, this morning we have the head of an international Christian school in our midst and who's given his life to education and starting schools all over the world, and even the chairman of his board is here. We in Memphis have focused on education, and there's almost a revolution going on or a reformation, if you will, going on with education. And with all of this energy and and, and this thrust in this direction of education, it is tempting for us, even and maybe especially as Christians, to think if we just get the educational issues in our city worked out, if we just get our test scores up, if we just get this school consolidation thing figured out where it's equitable for everybody, then we will be saved. All our problems will go away if we just get everybody to earn a diploma. Then we will be saved. And yet in the process, what we're communicating to those that may not have an education or may be undereducated is that you're nothing unless you have an education. I'm walking with a guy right now who's struggling studying for the GED. And he's struggling not because of his intellect. He's struggling because of fear, because he knows that to take it and to fail is going to make him feel like society has told him he is. So what are we to do? How are we to feel about ourselves? Are we to feel good if we have that piece of paper or a lot of pieces of paper and bad if we don't? I mean, Solomon doesn't seem to help us a whole lot, parents, does he? I know Tanja has a biology test this week, and I said, well, according to Solomon, you can just throw it out the window. It doesn't matter. We're coming to the end. I'm sure a lot of you are facing exams. Well, Solomon says, meaningless, meaningless, this too is meaningless. Go enjoy the day. Throw it out the window. Some of you sitting here, I know that Derek Oliver is graduating this afternoon with a master's in special education. Is that all for nothing? Is that just meaningless, meaningless? How are we to think about this? Let's look at it. The first thing I think we need to understand is that we all value education. 
And I think we value education in a way that does lead to meaninglessness. One of my favorite movies is Goodwill Hunting. It's an old movie. I'm dating myself, I know, but I'm also a big Matt Damon fan. Um, but in Goodwill Hunting, Matt Damon uh, plays the, the role of a student who grew up on the streets, uh, or a young man who grew up on the streets of the South End of Boston. Um, he grew up in a very tough environment, poor environment. Uh, education wasn't valued in the least. Uh, he ran the streets. But he gets a job as a janitor at MIT, um, and, and that is the top technological school or technology school in the country and one of the top in the world. And one night, he's cleaning um, a, a, a classroom. He's the janitor, and, and he looks up on the board. All the students and teachers are gone, and he sees this math problem. And he, and he gets up, and he takes a piece of chalk. Now, this is really dates the movie, uh, back when they had chalk in the chalkboard. And, and he just starts writing, and he keeps writing. And after a while, the whole board is filled up with an answer that is correct. <laughs> And what you find out is that this guy who nobody gives any credit to for being smart is a genius mathematician. He is discovered by the professor of that class, but he wants to have nothing to do with it. Why? Because it would be social suicide for him to go back to his neighborhood and tell his friends that, hey, you know, I'm going off to Harvard or, you know, I'm leaving you guys. I've been offered a job in the CIA. Um, it would be absolute social suicide. See, in the hood, formal education is rarely valued. But I want you to know that that doesn't mean that education is not valued. Now, what I mean by that is this. <laughs> it takes an education to live on the streets, but it's an education of a different kind. They don't have schools for this kind of education, but they have mentors. Am I right? Uh, and, and they, you know, in a sense, there are schools. They're very private elite schools, and they're called gangs. <laughs> and you get in at a young age, and you learn, you get an education, and you are taught how to survive. And if you do well, and to the degree that you are bright and smart and you produce, you become a leader, and you get real credit. Those of you that think that it doesn't take an education to live on the streets, why don't you take your Ph.D. or your master's or your undergrad and go try it? It's not going to get you very far in North or South Memphis on the street for very long. You see, they're very complex rules. They're very complex formulas that you have to understand to do well on the street. Well, we can look at that kind of education and we can say, well, certainly that ends with destruction. And for the most part, it does. It ends in early death or jail. But let's come back to a formal education. Uh, is it any better if we remove God and the ultimate end of God's purpose for education out of it? I think not. Braxton Brady as uh, a friend that came and spoke at our last parenting seminar on, on a Saturday morning right here in this room. And he is the chaplain of an all-boys uh, elementary school in Memphis called PDS, Presbyterian Day School. It's, it's the largest 
uh, all boys um, elementary school in the country and one of the most successful. Um, he is the chaplain of that school, and he told a story about meeting with a parent of a second-grade young boy. Second grade, remember that. Um, and as he's talking, the father is just just really perplexed. He, he's angry. He's upset. He's concerned. And, and he's concerned because his son has made a B on his report card. And the father looks at Braxton Brady and says, how can my son get into Harvard with a B? Second grade. You see, what we see there is that that father is not interested in his son getting an education so he can understand the world, that he might be a a better and greater lover of God, but that he might be successful. That in fact, he might learn how to live without God. (laughs) That he might learn how to use his smarts, how to use the system to get ahead. It's the same way on the streets. The same idolatry exists. If I don't get respect or street cred, then I'm nothing. And what you see here, I think, is the same fear in those that worship education and those that worship the education of the street. I mean, both are seeking acceptance in their circles because it takes a community, it takes a circle, it takes a support system for all of us to to live and to thrive. I was talking to somebody in our body whose brother ran away from home or went on the streets at age 14 and started selling drugs. And he did so because uh, his mother had a habit and and he wanted to to ensure the quality of the kind of drugs, make sure that she didn't die from taking some bad drug that somebody gave and also to help pay the bills. And yet I think there was so much more to it because you see, The education that he was getting was not paying off. It wasn't giving him the significance because he wasn't exceeding. He wasn't excelling. And so it wasn't giving him the sense of meaning and significance that he so wanted. For those who worship education, the same is true. It's not necessarily a desire to succeed but a desire to not become a social outcast. You see, an education, a high education, is a means to an end. It's a means to the end of getting you what you want, namely respect, if not worship, in society. Because you can't be caught dead driving this old car if everyone that is important is driving this new car. You can't be caught dead sending your children to that school, maybe a public school, if all of the in people are sending their children to this school, this private school. You can't be caught dead wearing a no-name label because everybody that's in, everybody that's worth anything, you get my point. So if you're on the street and you're saying, if I don't have my Jordans on, then I'm nothing, then you're going to do whatever you have to do. You're going to get the education you need to buy the Jordans so you can have the success and the respect on the street. If a $2 million house is what it takes to get respect in your mind, you're going to do whatever it takes to get the job, to get the education, so that you can buy that house. Because what you're really after is significance and meaning. And Solomon played that game, and he said this, 
The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. You see, Solomon is using this word wisdom in a different way here. He's using the word wisdom like this. He's not talking about Christian wisdom. He's talking about amassing knowledge and mastering it to a point that you're better than anybody else. You study the financial market to the point that you can give forecasts that everybody listens to, and you can invest millions of dollars of money so that you, therefore, can possess the power and be the god of the market. Or maybe it's science. Maybe it's I'm going to find this. You know, I'm going to study or I'm going to become a doctor so that I can um, heal people. I'm going to become a researcher so that I can cure diseases. Why? Because you've determined in your mind that this education will lead to meaning and significance. Or I'm going to hit the street and I'm going to stay alive and I'm going to make money, more money than anybody else. Solomon says it all ends the same place. I did a funeral of a friend of mine Monday. And it never fails. There's always this moment. Now I know that I may be one of the only people in here um, other than Chris and maybe a couple of others that have done a funeral. But when you're the guy doing a funeral, you're sitting there and the music's playing and scripture may be read or whatever before you get up and speak. And, and you're, you're just sitting there in front of a box. And I don't know how you cannot look at that box and think about the reality of death and the fact that this is where we all go. That's what Solomon is saying. It doesn't matter if you die with a Ph.D. or no GED, you're going to die. It doesn't matter if you're the, the brightest person in the world or, or the one who lacks the most information in the world and the most knowledge in the world. It doesn't matter. Your body is going to go in the ground and it's going to rot. It's meaningless if this is all there is. And so you have to ask yourself, what knowledge am I pursuing this morning? That if I, I'm really believing that if I master this knowledge, if I, if I get this, then it will get me this, and I will be something and somebody, I will be justified as a human being. What is it? Because we're all doing it. That's why we want to be with somebody who's made it, because we want to hear their, their recipe to success. We all want it. So where are you following it this morning? See, all of us are pursuing some type of knowledge that will end in meaninglessness unless we move beyond it. So here's the good news. There is a way to amass knowledge and it leads to life. See, we've got to remember, friends, that the book of Ecclesiastes is there, is written by Koheleth. It's a Hebrew word that means philosopher. This is one who's using the Socratic method. He's asking the right questions to lead us to, to his um, at, at right conclusions so that we will say, man, if that's true, we're without hope. So let's go see what's true. You see, Ecclesiastes sparks study of the rest of the Bible. You can't just stay in Ecclesiastes and get a whole lot of hope. 
You've got to take the rest of Scripture. So let's get out of Ecclesiastes. We've we've asked the hard question. Now let's answer it. (laughs) Let's bring some hope to it. There is a way to amass knowledge and it leads to life. When I do a funeral, I always try to spend time with the people that were closest to the deceased person. Uh, The reason that I, or or this is what I'll do. I'll go to their house. I'll go to, um, you know, the funeral home. I'll, I'll go wherever they are and I'll just listen. And when people start stop talking, then I will start asking questions and I listen and I write. Because it's my job, the job of a preacher, to go to that funeral and to paint a picture of this person and remind the family and friends and spouse and parents and children of this person to paint a picture that, that is in the light of the things that they loved about that person. Why is that, therefore, that I go and I listen to the family and the friends, and especially those the closest to them? Because we study that which we love. We know in our minds and our hearts that which we love. You see, I know way too much about things like applique and sewing and children's toys and chick flicks and Mississippi State. And I mean, we can just go down the list. I know way too much about these things. Why? Because I am a husband to a wife who appliques and sews and, and likes different movies than I do sometimes. I have a daughter who goes to Mississippi State. I have grandchildren. I'm a grandfather, and therefore I, 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 I listen to the things that, you know, that, that my grandsons love. Trains. I said at the beginning of the sermon that I struggled in school, but I want you to know that I didn't struggle in learning. We're all learners. While I was not learning my math, my English rules, I still say ain't a lot, my wife gets mad at me maybe, I don't know. It didn't mean I wasn't learning. I was learning a lot about my friends, about the girls in my class, how to get along with the opposite sex, how to hunt. What it takes to, to duck hunt, to lure a duck in. What it takes to deer hunt. How do you kill a deer? What it takes to, uh, to, to frog gig. Man, I'm really going to bring my Arkansas roots out now. Uh, what it takes to fish. How do you catch a fish? And not all fish eat the same things. How do you catch a brim? How do you catch a crappie? How do you catch a bass? How do you catch a catfish? How do they, I mean, I, believe me, I had an education. I learned a lot. It just wasn't formal education. Why did I learn so much? Because we are all learners. Just watch a child. I love to watch my grandsons. I love to watch, you know, Bennett right now is a year and a half. And man, he'll just look at something. He'll take an iPhone and just start doing this. You're like, how does a one and a half year old know how to do this on an iPhone screen? Because he is a researcher. He is a learner. He is a scientist. He is an inventor. He is an observer. He has been made that way. Why? Because he is made in the image of God who made all things. Do you understand that to understand yourself, you've got to understand God? Because in Genesis chapter 127, the Bible tells us that in the image of God, he made man, male and female. So he didn't just kind of throw us together and then watch and see what we would turn out to look like. He made us in his image. In other words, everything God is, is reflected in us. 
because he is a thinking being, the thinking being, the most brilliant one in all of the universe. He knows how everything fits together. It's because I am made as his image and because my grandson was made in his image that I can't help and we can't help but be learners. We are constantly learning. The only question is not are we learners, are we educated, but what are we learning? What are we applying ourselves to and how are we using that knowledge? We are all learners. I was not a great student in formal education until God redeemed me. And I began to put some pieces together and people started teaching me um, exactly what I'm teaching you right now. You see, this is what God does in bringing someone to himself. He informs him. You're a sinner and you're in trouble. That's what the teacher tells us. And then he sends understanding through the power of the Spirit that we might say and, and experience with all that we are, yes, I am a sinner and I'm in trouble. And he says, but I have done something about your sin. I have sent Jesus the Christ and he has lived under the law in your place and he has died on the cross in your place. Therefore, your performance before me is done and finished because everything Jesus did in living a perfect life is now credited to you. And everything you did and all of your sin and all of your foolishness has now been transferred to Jesus and I punished it already. And so mentally and emotionally and in every way I received that in the classroom of God's salvation. And he began to open my eyes to the reality that everything in this world is about him. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 9 through 10. Follow me here. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In this, Paul reveals that I am not going to understand everything that is taught me. There's no way to, but that shouldn't make me feel stupid and kind of get in a corner and say, I'm not going to read or learn. He says, everything's a mystery. Even the smartest person on the planet, no matter how arrogant that person is and trying to convince everybody around them that they know everything, they don't know everything. But one day we all will know everything. Do you hear that? Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully Known. Do you understand that one major aspect of heaven is the completion of our minds? That we will understand every mystery known to man and it will all lead back to God. And you say, Richard, man, that sounds totally non-practical. Well, let me show you how practical it is. I'll never forget the first date that I had with Rachel Hayes. I was a student of Rachel Hayes. I mean, I studied what she liked to eat. I studied what she wore, so I would kind of compliment her. I studied how, you know, what made her laugh, what didn't make her laugh. I found out that she liked to go to bed at about 9 or 9.30 or 10 at the latest. I found out that she didn't like violent movies. I found out that even though I knew her as an athletic person, that she secretly was in a competitive choir and loved to sing. 
I found out all these things about her. And you know what that information did? It led me to know and love her more. Now, wouldn't it have been weird once I found out that she was in a competitive choir if I transferred schools, started going to, to her school, got in her choir, and, and stopped paying attention to her, but started succeeding in this competitive choir? See, I would be taking the things she loves and, and, and to, to exceed her. I would have been using her. Now, here's the question. Are we using God with the knowledge that we have, or when we learn something, are we realizing that the purpose, the sole purpose, or the highest purpose of learning that something is to give you a greater love for God? This world, everything in this world is God. He owns it all. There's a way to study in a way that opens everything up to you because it shows you the one you love. Now, here's the question. Do you really love God? Let's look at that. The purpose of all education and knowledge is to know and reveal God. I love the movie Chariots of Fire. I'm really dating myself with this one. But let me go into this. It tells the true story of Eric Little who was um, a track Olympian track runner as well as um, Harold Abrams. And Little was a, um, a Christian. And Abrams was Jewish in his, in his commitments, but he was more culturally Jew- Jewish. And um, Eric Little said this. He said, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. And what he was saying there is, is that I don't have to win the gold medal. I don't have to win any medals. I run so that I can feel the pleasure of God because God has made me fast. And for me not to go fast is to, to sit on a gift that he has given me. But Harold Abrams was just the opposite. You see, Abrams uh, lived in Europe at the time, and Europe had no regard for Jewish people. In fact, they looked down on Jewish people, and so Abrams viewed track as a way to justify himself and legitimize himself as a Jewish man. And so you had two runners running the same race, but both running for absolutely different reasons. One was running to feel the pleasure of God. One was running because he didn't know God, and he was trying to find some significance and meaning outside of God. And so my question this morning is, why are you running? Where is the knowledge that you're amassing leading you? Are you running because you want to know God? Are you studying and reading and and taking all of life so that you might know God better? Or are you studying and reading, trying to make yourself accomplished so that you might not need God? Listen to 118. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. As Harold Abrams kept running, his steam ran out and he had to retire. And in that retirement, he found out how meaningless the race he was really running was all about. Do you understand that's exactly what experience does? See, when we're young, we think we can conquer the world, but then we live life and we just just hope we can get up another day and get through another day. I mean, look at Kobe Bryant. Chris quoted him two weeks ago, an amazing quote. 
Kobe Bryant, when he was young, thought that he could find meaning and success and, and, and the problems of, of all of life in basketball. And it certainly seemed like he was doing it until a couple of weeks ago when he's injured. And then he posts on Facebook, is this it? Is this all there is? Are you kidding me? This is meaningless. This is worthless. I'm just going to be a commentator now like Charles Barkley. I'll never suit up again. It's over. Just like that. That's what Solomon was saying. And yet Paul in Colossians 2 tells us this. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you hear that? What's the purpose of knowledge? What's the purpose of all mysteries? Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you know what this means? If you understand that, that we are justified not by our education, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ, two things are going to happen to you. You're going to be able to stand up if you're not a high achiever and admit that you're not a high achiever. I can stand, I'll be honest with you, most of my adult life, I've been ashamed of the fact that I scored an 18 on my ACT. But I stood up here this morning and just shot it out there knowing that we've got teachers, we have PhDs in this room, we have very bright people. Why can I do that? Because what I score on the ACT doesn't justify me. Jesus Christ and His finished work is my justification. He is the reason that I am important and special because God Himself has chosen me before the foundation of the earth to make me His Son and to lavish on me all of His, all of His blessings and He will take me into glory. And how in the world can an ACT score tarnish that? Do you see that? It opens up all of life. Honey and I grabbed a Chick-fil-A sandwich on Friday. I know I use food a lot, but hey, the Bible tells us to eat and drink to the glory of God. To taste and know that God is good. That may be the one Bible verse that I'm obedient to all the time. But do you understand, in my simple way of thinking, is there anything greater that I can sit in Chick-fil-A and eat a number one combo on wheat and taste how good it is and say this has something to do with Jesus Christ. I mean, is that not amazing? I don't have to have a PhD to get that. I can enjoy life. And in everything that I do, I can say, oh, it's good because of Jesus. Because all things are held together in Him. He created all things. All things were made in and through Him. And all things hold together in Him. And in some either small way or huge way, everything I do, how soft this fabric is, everything that I do, 
the water that I drink after this sermon, everything, I can look to God and say, it is good because of you. Every bit of knowledge. I was thinking about who had the most seemingly um, meaningless job in here, and I think it's Rick Trotter. I mean, this guy, all he does is speak into a microphone at the FedEx Forum. I mean, they pay somebody to do that. Where am I going with this? And why do we all want his job? It's because of this. When he speaks into that microphone with the, with the gift and the voice that God gave him, 18,000 people get on their feet and respond to what he says. Now you go back to Genesis 1. Does that have anything to do with Jesus and God? When God spoke, there was light. And in some small way, Rick Trotter gets to experience what it was like on the day of creation when God spoke and there's something resulted. Is that not amazing? But if all of a sudden that becomes God to him, do you see how worthless it becomes? It's just all about him and he's going to be replaced maybe by me one day. We all know that's a lie. You get the point. Teachers, why can you go back to the classroom in light of what Solomon is saying this morning? Why can you, why can you fight that battle when you're trying to teach a third grader, you know, math and they, they have no desire at all to learn? Because God is the master teacher. They call Jesus the rabbi. And he understands what it's like to teach fools. <laughs> and you can lean into him and you can say, help me, Lord Jesus. Because in some small way, you were a teacher. And I am reflecting your image because I want these young students to learn something. We can go back to our marketing. We can go back to our nursing. We can go back to, to being a doctor. We can go back to all the things that God has called us to. And we can say, thank you that I get to participate in what you've called and equipped me for. And I can experience you in the midst of this. And success is not what drives me. And money is not what drives me. Because I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Do you have the freedom this morning to study and fail? Do you feel the freedom as an individual to be what God has made you be? Are you always feeling like you should be something more? Something else? Do you always feel insignificant? I want you to know that you need to repent of that right now. If God gave you, you know, a mind or training or circumstances or the lack of education or whatever it is where, you know, you've gotten into a place in life that may not have culture as worship, Guess who's dancing over you with joy if you were in Christ? Jesus Himself. <laughs> Is that not beautiful? And therefore, it doesn't matter if you're doing heart surgery or you're picking up someone's trash. You can know that the King of glory is somehow connected to what He's called you to do, what He has you doing in that moment, and He is dancing over you in joy. Do you have that freedom today? If you don't know Christ here, I want you to know that the first point is all about where your life is heading.
It doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter what you're succeeding in. It doesn't matter if you're the biggest guy in the neighborhood, the biggest guy in your company. All that matters is that you're going to die and it's going to end. Do you know Jesus? Because in Christ, there's something beautiful. Everything's going to make sense one day. And we can go about our business until that day, learning, failing, and trying. Why? Because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Oh, dear friends, do you long to know God? Does this make you want to know God and His world more? That's my prayer this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You are the essence of all wisdom and knowledge. Thank You that everything that we do, that even the recipes in our recipe book, our cookbook, even the, the textbooks that bore us silly in school, they all have something to do with You. And they are expanding our minds and our experience of You so God, I pray that we would go out into this world and we would seek to glorify You with all that we are. That we, we might know You better, worship You better, and we might live for You. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.